Previously on A Christmas Cereal. My brother is an idiot. I mean, seriously, if the kid weren't so gullible, this would not have become a problem. Adam is always going on and on about Santa. I mean, the kid is eight years old. Isn't he too old for all this? So to try to shut him up one night, we went on a joyride in my mom's car to the North Pole, you know? Only we must have taken a wrong turn because we ended up someplace, and these people, they are serious about their Christmas legends. I don't know where we really are. Of course, I don't believe they are elves and this is Santa's factory, but we have to behave because the car's out of gas or something, and we have to get home. But Adam, he keeps getting into all kinds of trouble, bothering reindeer, and now he thinks he's been a star in their Christmas show or something. So they are scared of him or pretending to be, and now there's this elf in charge of us who is not a happy guy, and Adam's nervous. I don't know what about. I mean, he's four foot something. I can take him. But anyway, if Adam would just stop bothering people and taking every word they say as gospel, we'd be home by now. Except I'm not really sure how. A Christmas Serial Part 3, When They Cancelled Christmas Gerald sat in his office and fumed. The nerve of them. The absolute nerve. Gerald had earned his place in Christmastown the hard way. He had lived and worked there for hundreds of years, and he had been faithful. He had a degree from Pumpkin Pie Spice College and had begun his career as a weather specialist, redirecting storms and minimizing weather impacts on major human population centers. All these years later, he was still pretty good with weather. He had been one of the first elves hired at the newly minted factory to take on the ambitious Christmas Project, as it was known in those days. He had overseen the town's name change to Christmastown and had been on the team that selected the first Santa, a kindly gentleman named Nicholas who had few human attachments and could be safely brought north without major security impacts. Gerald had become Nicholas's trusted advisor and together they had laid out the security rules which still governed Christmastown. Gerald started as Santa's assistant and had been promoted four times to reach his current post. His career had flourished. Up until last July, when Santa had hired Alexander, a new graduate of the college, as his chief of staff. They had never needed a chief of staff before, and if they needed one now, surely he, Gerald, would have been a better choice than Alexander, a shy elf who was usually at a loss for words. Obviously, this Santa, who had to be reaching the end of his tenure by now, had a different way of running things. Gerald tried to be a good elf, tried to help the new kid get into the swing of things at the factory, but this was too much. He hadn't realized that he had fallen so far from his days of second-in-command. He was a babysitter. No worse. He was a babysitter for human children. His charges were in Karen's office. Gerald was refusing to go near them until absolutely necessary, praying that Karen would keep them out of trouble. He didn't really trust her. She had no appreciation of how dangerous these humans could be. He wondered if he could risk sending them home. Frustrated, he flipped through a stack of messages on his desk. One near the bottom caught his eye. Gerald, teacher Patty from Little Stockings Primary School has called six times re-security breach. Please deal with her, Gwen. Gerald sighed. Not even Gwen was dependable in this situation. Well, at least someone seemed to know how urgent this was, even if the someone in question did not work at the factory. There was a knock on the door and Gerald's head jerked up. He was prepared to give Gwen a tongue-lashing for interrupting, but it wasn't Gwen standing in the doorway. The elf was tiny and the most gorgeous creature Gerald had ever seen. She was dressed simply with her long hair tucked behind her pointy ears, and she fiddled nervously with a gold chain around her neck. Gerald was, for once in his life, speechless. 
I'm so sorry. I do not wish to bother you. I left you some messages. Patty? Gerald guessed. I'm sorry. I've intruded. I should go. No! Gerald leapt toward her so quickly she jumped. You aren't bothering me in the... I'm just getting my messages now. Please. Please come in. Sit down. He gestured at a chair covered with overflowing file folders. Thank you. She sat gingerly amidst the chaos. He was now looking directly into her eyes and found it somewhat difficult to speak. I would never think of bothering someone as important as you if this weren't a matter of grave concern. I'm afraid I may have lost my temper with your boss earlier, and I was afraid I wouldn't be taken seriously. But there are good reasons for being wary of humans. Her voice shook with emotion. I teach very young elf children, and there have been many rumors. Any disturbance is very hard on them. When one of my students, an excellent child if somewhat high-strung, began to repeat these rumors, I felt compelled to investigate. I'm afraid the rumors are true, said Gerald, and wanted to kick himself. He was director of security and communications. What on earth was he doing? He needed to be reassuring. He needed to be in control. He needed to not look into Patty's lovely eyes as they filled with tears. He cleared his throat and shuffled papers on his desk. Protecting you, <clears throat> protecting your students is my highest priority, he said. I'm glad to hear you say that, Patty hesitated. I know that Christmas is a high priority for you. The factory is the centerpiece of our town. Some of my own family members work here, and someday many of my students will as well. But of course Christmas cannot become more important than elf safety. I would never allow that, Gerald reassured her. Of course. She turned towards the door, then glanced back at him. I would not presume to do your job, but has it occurred to anyone to place a hold on Christmas? The papers in Gerald's hand slipped to the floor. You mean cancel it? Well, not permanently, of course, but with the security problems it just seems more hazardous than usual. That may be, but we have things under control. Of course, she glanced at the sheaf of papers now scattered on the floor. I was merely thinking that providing Christmas at another safer time of year might be prudent. We need not depend upon the human calendar. I, Gerald stammered, I can't cancel Christmas. I don't have the power to do that. As soon as the words left his mouth, he regretted them. Of course not. It was merely an idea. You are in charge of security, so you seem to be the one to ask. I wonder if Alexander might— I'll take care of it, Gerald said. The minute the words left his mouth, he knew they were true. He was in charge of the Christmas Eve security forces. He was in charge of double-checking the route. Together with his staff, he created the time continuum, organized the details, and ensured the distractions that made the ride possible. And, of course, weather was his specialty— it was all within his jurisdiction, and without all that, Christmas wouldn't happen. Couldn't happen. The phone on Gerald's desk buzzed, startling him. He grabbed it. Gerald here. Gerald, it's Karen. Are you coming by my office? The boys are still here. Certainly, ma'am. Right away. Gerald smiled as he put the phone down. Without Christmas, he could focus on getting those boys out of the way, the safest way possible, in order to ensure security in the elfin world. They would be fine in Siberia. Not knowing the language would just make them better workers. There was a lot of space out there to lose them in. Don't worry, Patty, he said again. I'll take care of everything. Adam was not used to being the troublemaker. That was Kevin's job. Kevin was familiar with the layout of the detention room, knew the punishment for being sent home from school with a note from the teacher, and had been the cause of their mother's gray hair, so she told him. Adam was a well-behaved kid. Sure, he was a smooth talker, who had more than once convinced other kids to give him their lunch money, or a turn on a playground toy known as the zipper, 
But these were minor offenses, and it was easy to see that the adults who punished him were also laughing a little bit. In Christmas Town, Adam was always being asked to stay in, or stay out, or sit, or not move. It was about as much fun as the dentist. Here he was, once again, sitting outside the action. The action in this case was Alexander's office, in which Gerald had scheduled a hurried meeting. Adam tried to sit quietly while Kevin figured out the best spot to listen in on the conversation. Adam was curious, but he would not move from his spot. He had had enough talking tos for one day. The news was not good. I can't hear everything they're saying, Kevin reported, but the topic is definitely whether or not to cancel Christmas. Cancel Christmas? Adam had known it was bad, but this was seriously bad. Because of me? Well, not just you, said Kevin. Us, I guess. It's not you, said a voice, startling both boys. Standing next to the bench Adam was sitting on was a very old elf. How had they not noticed him standing there? Had he appeared out of nowhere? Thus far, the elves they had seen had looked a lot like human children, although they were easy to recognize because they talked like adults and their ears were pointy. This elf looked more like the ones Adam remembered from the Christmas picture books his mother had read to him when he was little. The elf's beard was long, wavy, and gray. His eyes were surrounded by pools of wrinkles. He leaned on a cane, even, and moved like an old man, making Adam wonder how he had managed to sneak up on them. "'How do you know?' he asked. The Adam of six hours ago would have trusted an elf without question, but he had met a few of them since then. "'Because this has been coming for a long time,' said the elf. "'Something has been lost in Christmas Town. The fear, anger, and stress that you are seeing is a sign of that.' You being here didn't cause it. You are just a reminder of sorts. I have lived here a long time, and I have seen this coming. Are you like a wizard or something? Kevin was suspicious. The elf smiled, and the lines around his eyes deepened. No, I am called Duncan. I am nothing special, just a very old elf. I used to be something of a... Well, that doesn't matter much. People don't listen to old men anyway. They don't listen to kids either, said Adam. I'm not going to do anything to them, honest. I just wanted to see what it was like here. But it isn't any fun. I want to go home. That's just the trouble, said Duncan. If Christmas isn't fun here, it never could be in the human world. It used to be fun. It is meant to be fun. But it has become so stressful, so busy, so organized. We have lost our way. I think the humans have, too. I certainly hear a lot more stress. And a lot less merry. Hear how? Do you spy on the humans? Duncan laughed. Spy isn't the right word. Observe, maybe. For their own good. It is my job. I'm something of a muse. I keep an eye on what happens in the human world and use my powers as an elf to make it better, more elf-like. Lately, though, it seems we elves are becoming more human-like instead. What does that have to do with us? asked Kevin. You are children. And children is what Christmas is supposed to be about. It could be that you have an opportunity to remind these elves what they are working for. How are we supposed to do that? Well, if Christmas has been cancelled, that means everybody has a night off with nothing to do. A Christmas party might do the trick. Is that all? Kevin rolled his eyes. A party? Duncan smiled. To a child, a night off purely for celebration and fun is simple. Adults, even elves, often need a little push to get them going. I think you might be just the ones to push them. Kevin snorted. If there's one thing Adam can do, it's push people into doing things. Reminds me of someone, mused Duncan. Who? demanded Adam. Duncan looked at the door to Alexander's office, almost as if he could see through it. 
If I told you, he murmured to himself, you would never believe me. Rochelle broke her own rule and peeked through the crack between the closed curtains to see how large the audience was. Everybody was there. Kevin sat in front of his brother looking bored. Gerald was next to Patty in the teacher seats. Marvin was munching on a candy cane in the back row and spreading shards of red and white candy everywhere. Alexander paced back and forth next to Marvin, fiddling with one of his large and very pointy ears. Even Santa was there, sitting next to his wife and looking like his jolly self in spite of everything. The older kids performed first, opening with Jolly Old St. Nicholas, and then an old elf tune in a language Adam didn't understand. The preschoolers did a version of Santa Claus's Come Into Town, which caused great hilarity among the Christmas Town audience, in particular Santa himself. The primary grades then came on for their numbers leading up to the show's finale. Jingle Bells went only slightly better than it had in rehearsal, but the audience was kind and gave the kids resounding applause. As Adam made his way on stage for his solo, everyone was on the edge of their seats. Rochelle, who was standing in the orchestra pit, turned to the audience and smiled. From that distance, no one could tell how nervous she was. "'We have a special treat for you tonight,' she announced in her director voice. "'A, um, solo. This is Adam from Centerville, with his version of A Christmas Carol Silent Night.' Adam stood on stage for a minute, unable to move. Then he thought about how small the members of his audience were which made him smile. It was Christmastown, after all, and despite his disillusionment with the place, anything was possible in Christmastown. He cleared his throat and began to sing. The audience was unfamiliar with the carol, but they were entranced through all three verses. When he finished the last Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, many of the elves were crying. The sleigh had been rolled off stage, and the kids were in Santa hats, for we wish you a Merry Christmas. The audience breathed a little easier, still shaky from Adam's song. By the time the kids from both schools took the stage for the final number, Winter in Christmastown, the room felt normal again. Rochelle waved from center stage. We really want to thank everyone for coming tonight. It was a joy to have you all here. We hope you'll join us in February for Peter Pan. Have a great night, everyone. Wait, called Adam running downstage. Wait! Before you go, we have something to say. His eyes searched the audience for Duncan, who met his gaze and calmed him. I I know that a lot of you have tomorrow off and weren't expecting it. He tried not to look at Gerald. And I really am sorry about that. But we, that is, my brother and I and some friends, again, he glanced at Duncan, we want to invite you to a party. A Christmas party. A celebration. At the factory. Not much of a party if you're having it in that place, called a voice from somewhere in the audience. But it will be, insisted Adam, with all the stubbornness of his eight years. There will be food and friends and nothing but fun, I can promise you that. So you should come, the doors will be open, and... He glanced helplessly at Rochelle. How do I, um, end? She smiled and blew her whistle pitch pipe. With a song. In her clear voice she started, Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? The song was unfamiliar to Adam, who had never been able to stay awake for New Year's, but the audience picked it up quickly. Should old acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? And they left, as everyone should leave a concert, singing. You were wonderful. Duncan greeted Adam with a bear hug his fragile frame did not seem capable of. The party is going to solve it all, isn't it, Duncan? asked Adam. The party is going to be marvelous, and we may be able to sneak in Christmas after all. 
Duncan eyed Gerald, who was making his way to an exit holding Patty's hand. I had the most wonderful chat with Marvin here, and we have an idea. But we are going to need your help. And Kevin's help, and Alexander's, and Karen's, and even one or two of your fellow performers' help as well. His eyes fixed on Justine, who was talking earnestly with Rochelle about her ideas for next year's concert. What do you think, Adam? Interested in saving Christmas? Adam nodded without hesitation. Good, said Duncan decidedly, because we haven't got a moment to lose. No way. Alexander shook his head so hard his cap slid down over one pointy ear. Uh-uh. Sorry. Not gonna happen. It's a good idea, insisted Adam. That's easy for you to say. You're not trying to make it through your first Christmas, which, by the way, has been cancelled, while dealing with the ghost of Christmas past in there. Alexander jerked his thumb in the direction of Gerald's office. Plus, even if I did agree, which I never would, who would we convince to do it? Adam and Duncan exchanged glances. Marvin, they said together. Alexander rolled his eyes. You've both gone crazy. Marvin would take out the whole factory. It has to be him, said Adam. He knows the reindeer, and he's the only one in the place with a head big enough to wear the outfit. Plus, he's more coordinated in the air than on the ground. He'd almost have to be, said Duncan mildly. Alexander scratched his head. Even if we could fool the floor leads and some of the line workers, Gerald would see right through it. He'd stop it before it got started. Adam looked at Duncan. That's why we're planning the whole thing for while Gerald is... away. He never goes anywhere, sputtered Alexander. We might as well wait 500 years because he never goes home. I don't know if he even has a home. No one has ever seen Gerald anywhere but here. He'll leave, said Duncan. Trust me. But we have no security clearances, Alexander looked around his office in panic. No protections, no magical shield, no recall lock on the time continuum. No one can properly set up security for a delivery sleigh ride except Gerald. If we try it, we will be discovered. Someone, somewhere, will see us. That would be inevitable. The conservatives have worried about this for years. So someone sees something, Duncan shrugged. So what? So what? squeaked Alexander. That's your answer? There was concern that we would be finished when you cleared a road for Adam and Kevin, said Duncan calmly. But we are still here. At the moment, the biggest threat to Christmas is not the humans. It is us. It's just possible that we haven't given the humans enough credit. You're not old enough to remember when we first started doing Christmas around here. But back then it was quite simple. We loaded the sleigh and sent Nicholas to where he was needed the most. We had a few magical protections, but no computers, no naughty and nice center, no shield. And there were sightings. There's a whole collection of them in the library if you care to look. Poems and stories written by humans who had contact. Some wonderful writings. Christmas is a magical night, and we trusted that any magic the humans saw would only make their Christmas merrier. Separation between the human and elf worlds used to be about magic, and everyone doing their jobs, not about fear. Over the years, as security has tightened, worry has increased. We don't trust the humans at all, which is ironic because it is their holiday that is at the center of our lives. And it is this mistrust that puts the whole thing at risk now. We have a choice. We can trust the humans, believe most of them to be like young Adam here, pure of heart and ready for Christmas. Or we can build walls to ensure that Christmas, and therefore our entire world, will never be the same again. That choice falls to you, Alexander. No one else can make it. Coming up next week on the conclusion of a Christmas serial.
The plan is in place, but it puts pressure on some unlikely elves. Will Santa's reindeer fly? Have we seen our last Christmas? Will Adam and Kevin end up in Siberia? Tune in next week to the final installment of a Christmas serial here on the No Extra Words podcast. Merry Christmas once again from No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker-Dirsch. I'm your producer and editor. I hope you did get the hint that if you missed parts one and two of a Christmas serial, they are on episodes 24 and 25, respectively. And I hope you're enjoying the story as it goes along. I picked up in the grocery store this month a Life magazine special, which is a history and biography of Santa Claus. If you haven't seen it, flip through it the next time you're in the grocery store line. It's interesting, the legend or the person of Santa who's in this bio. And I thought about this story a lot as I was reading it and about the whole idea that there have been sightings. Really, in part three is when we learn that there have been sightings in the past and there's been interactions between humans and Santa in the past before there was all this security in place. So something to think about when you read the Christmas books that might be in your house this time of year about whether or not they might come from some of those sightings. The conclusion of a Christmas serial is coming up next week, but I am here right now to introduce this week's short story, which is Rick's Picks by Benjamin Tosh. And I used to commute by bus through downtown Seattle, and I think that's what grabbed me first about this story, is it's the story of a rather interesting bus commute and two characters who take this same bus ride a lot. I hope whatever holiday rut you're in, the adventures of Dog and Robot in the story Rick's Picks coming up next pull you out of it just a little bit, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Rick's Picks by Benjamin Tosh but I don't want to go to there, Dog whined. Does not compute. You enjoy vintage vinyl records. Robot's metallic and vaguely feminine voice sounded hurt somehow. We always go to the record store. I want to do something different. Dog's tail drummed against the bus window. They were the only two passengers. Outside, the sky was overcast and a slight drizzle misted the bus's windshield. Inside the bus, the smell of unwashed people, wet shoes, and the faint tang of oil diffusing from robot's plastic skin mixed together to form an absurd bouquet. Dog panted and stared out the window at the strip malls that coursed by on the bus route. At the next intersection, Dog turned to Robot. Don't you ever feel like doing something different, Robot? I enjoy vintage vinyl records. We visit Rick's Picks every Thursday. Robot lifted her three-fingered hand and gestured in a way that she had seen a clerk in the record store do once. The clerk had been speaking of a new pressing of Black Flag's damaged album. The clerk had made the gesture and declared that Henry Rollins' presence alone had made that band the tour de force it was. I'm tired of Rick's picks. It's the same records, the same clerk, the same ambiance. Dog scratched his eyes with his forepaws. I need variety, Robot. Dog laid his right forepaw on the exposed metal of Robot's knee joint and looked into the fixed mask of Robot's face. Rick's Picks is our Thursday destination. The bus arrives at approximately 12.20 p.m. We could change, Robot. We could stay on the bus, go to the end of the line like we did that one time. Remember all the cool and different smells we found down there? 
There was the library. You even said it was fun. Come on, let's do that again. That anomaly is recorded in my memory. It occurred four years, one month, five days, six hours. Robot, you're not listening, Dog barked. The sleepy-eyed bus driver looked up into his rear view at the two passengers. Noticing the driver, Dog continued in a whisper, I'm trying to ask you to do something for me here. For once, do something that I want to do. Something that you don't log away as an anomaly. Dog made quotation marks in the air with his paws. Can't you do that? Can't we keep riding? To the park at least? Please? Robot said nothing as she looked down at Dog. Dog turned away and looked out the window. On the sidewalk, a woman pushed a stroller. Connected to the stroller by means of a glistening red leash was a shaggy and damp golden retriever. Dog pointed. Look at that lady and her dog, Robot. They're probably going to the park right now. Don't they look happy? We are happy when we visit Rick's Picks on Thursdays. Robot reached over and scratched behind Dog's ears. Dog pulled away from her hand and settled against the bus window. Robot put his hand in his lap and looked at Dog for a long moment. The moment passed, and Robot turned to look out of the bus windows across the aisle while Dog looked out the window on his side of the bus. They remained that way until the bus pulled toward the stop near the record store. Dog reached up his paw and pulled the yellow cord to signal for a stop. Robot looked down at Dog again. Good boy, she said as she stood. Dog said nothing and didn't get up to follow.